There's no making a, uh, you know, a surprise today. This is uh, what you're seeing before you is the new theme for our church for the coming year. Um, and um, things have been rather busy, so we will do a little bit of, of business a little bit later on, probably after Christmas, and send out our, or have our financial statements for you to peruse and to look at. And um, we don't have any membership, per se, because we're a family. And to me, uh, family is, uh, family benefits trump membership benefits. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Okay, I, if I have to get, I'm going to have to repeat myself two or three times, but family benefits are better than membership benefits. Amen. 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 Yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm old, but there used to be a commercial membership had its privilege. Well, membership does have privileges, but only, they only go so far. It depends on what on uh, what kind of donor you are from the membership, right? <laughs> if you give, you, I mean, it's all, it's in credit cards today. You, you can be a platinum card holder, but your service fees are a little bit higher than the lower dividend card, right? But family, family has access to it all. And uh, there's no requirement for, uh, for finances because what's mine is my family's. I know, now I'm getting into messing with really a whole lot. So I'm just, I'm just saying. So where did I go off on that tangent? Anyway, um, we are going to talk about our new theme but I want to first jump off and start with our scripture passage. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to our first uh, Advent reading, and that is Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, and um, we're only going to uh, read the first five verses. I just got to get my glasses. Barb and I took our grandchildren to the mall yesterday, or we had a bunch of running around to do. It makes me want to be an Amazon shopper. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> I, know, I know I shouldn't, but there are a lot of nasty people out there that don't let you in in parking lots. They just, it's amazing. I've never seen so many Saskatchewan drivers that, you know, you're trying to signal and they... They just, they don't care. They just, they just keep going and you could sit there for all the afternoon and they wouldn't, wouldn't give yield for you to just get out of their way. So, hey, it makes one want to be a Amazon shopper. Anyway, Isaiah chapter two. And uh, the first five verses. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of of God of Jacob, of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any of this yet in the world today. And um, neither did they see it when it was written. I don't know about you, but you kind of can take today's um, look at the world and how it evolves and how it evolves. I don't see everybody coming to the mountain of the Lord. I don't see everybody saying, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so he can teach us his ways. And so that he can judge the nations and the disputes for many peoples. And I don't see swords being changed into pruning hooks, or, sorry, in the plowshares, or spears being turned into pruning hooks. Uh, I don't see those things. Just because you don't see something doesn't mean it's not true. The call today for this time as we walk into this new Advent season is there is this season of Advent or where we're walking through or what is transpiring, what the church is calling. And all of a sudden, the whole world turns its focus upon Christmas and what it means. Sure, there are lights, there are Santa Claus, there are reindeer, even the story of Elf by Will Ferrell. How many have to have the story of Elf every Christmas? <laughs> See, I, I, I. But Christmas is more than that. Christmas, there's a calling of Christmas. There is a, there's a calling to Advent. And here are four things that, that really, uh, that, come to light as we start this Advent season. And one is, Advent calls us to peace. All of a sudden the world switches and then gears itself to changing its everyday verboseness to, oh, let's have family. Let's enjoy the warmth of gift giving and Christmas turkey and... We kind of, it kind of slows down. Advent calls us to peace. The peace that the prophet Isaiah promises keeps us, keeps coming because people keep needing it. Like rats running a wheel, we circle back to war, resentment, and revenge, and the, and and even in the psalmist of, one, of Psalm 122, verse 6, which is also part of this Advent reading, says, pray that Jerusalem has peace. The psalmist speaks prophetically, speaking peace. Peace must come to us because we've never find our way towards peace. We need Advent because we need relief from our, old, from our own war-torn souls. Well... We never face war in here, Canada. You know what? It just comes in a different form. It comes at election time. Liberals war against conservatives. Conservatives war against NDP. NDP wars against the Green Party. We, we have different kind of wars. 
But even, even here in this room, there is a turmoil that pervades our lives as we struggle to make a living and an existence and what we think we need to have in order to be successful, to, be, to have a life. We need Advent to, to refocus our direction towards the very thing we're seeking, and that is peace. We want peace on the inside. Some of us are struggling because we have faced difficult struggles this past year. And they've taken a toll on our lives. We don't feel good about, each, about ourselves. We need Advent because we need relief from all the strife, all the struggles. And Advent returns us to the promise of peace, which comes to us not in a treaty or a command, but it comes in a person. <coughs> the second thing about this Advent is that God's invitation is persistent. He is not just a one and done type of person. God begins with an invitation again and again and again. He, it's not to dictate negotiation. He is command, his commands require obedience. And an invitation asks us only for the answer. And that answer is yes. Again and again, Isaiah simply invites people to come. Come! This call... It's not only persistent, it's urgent. The divine invitation is not just persistent, it is needed. I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter what kind of things are promised. The tension sometimes still creeps into our lives where we are panicking for a need for peace, for a, some intervention, for, to bring us into the, what we are all desiring to have. And lastly, God's coming demands vigilance. The Advent means the Lord's coming is vigilant. The Advent reminds us to look more closely You know, we can sometimes think like there's no tomorrow and that we just can walk through life each and every day that really doesn't mean very much. But we have to respond in the affirmative. There is a salvation that's near when we, ha- when we first had faith. We live as those that have a hope. Church, the call is we worship, we sang it. We sang it, we, we declared it, we declared it. Why? Because it is true. Because there's a need for hope. And so the call in this hour, this moment, this first Sunday of Advent is a call. A call, an urgent call, a persistent call. A call that is designed to come at the very fabric of what you were designed for. What you were made for. And it demands our vigilance. Why? Because the very last verse says that we are to walk in the light. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and maybe mistakenly so... We've sometimes leaned on grace so much that we don't think we have to do anything. I don't know about you, but there are times in our life where God is asking us to walk what, the way he's designed us to walk. Walk in the light. Not in the dark, not to do the, your own things, but to walk as he would have us to walk. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So now we switch to onward. The new theme of our year is going to be onward. 
why? Well, I'm going to be pre... I, I have little notes here, so wherever I go, that's where I'm supposed to be. So, if I say something that tweaks you the wrong way, you're going to have to, I'm going to ask for forgiveness before, okay? Because it isn't down there, and if, it need, if I said it, probably need to be said. I think sometimes as a family and as, and as the church or as Christians, we sometimes get lulled into the fact that we, we, we think we have something, but we really don't. We give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and we, have, we feel good, we do our thing, and yet we live each and every day as though that one time or that one place has done it all for us and we don't have to do anything more. I also have to be careful what I say. So, Barb brought up a, a, a very important thing that we've had. We've had the calling of family upon this assembly for years. And yet in the last three years, it has been difficult. If we're going to use the vernacular family, I'm going to use terms here, but I'm, I, I'm not wanting to carry this to an nth degree. All I'm going to say is as father of the house, I'm going... I'm, I want to be able to be the father. And sometimes, it's, uh, I don't know about you, but you, allow, you let things go in order not to ruffle any feathers, and you kind of let things just molder along. And as a father, sometimes it's the duty or the right of the father to speak when you see something not so good. Today's, today's vernacular of father has sometimes been so hurt and so abused. I'm going to use the term abuse because sometimes our own families and situations have so skewed our view, vision and our understanding of family that we, there are 50 million examples of family. And guess what? Every one of us here in this room have dysfunction in family. And we bring that dysfunction when we bring that whole vernacular of family to the church. My dad was different than your dad, different than Barb's dad. My, my mom and dad took me to church every Sunday. My dad served as a deacon. Uh, we went to church Wednesday Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like if, if it was open, uh, my mom and dad would make, or my mom would make sure I was filling a pew and make sure I was there. Matter of fact, when I came home from college, you know, it was prayer meeting on Wednesday night, she would say, let's go to prayer meeting. And I'm going, but I'm going to Bible school, mom. I pray every day. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's prayer meeting night. We got to go to prayer, got to go Trucking along like a good son. Do, 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 do. As I got as I got married and went into the ministry, a lot of times the focus of how we did life, Barb and I, and with the kids, that's our example of how family went. It was different when other people joined us, and I've said so before. When Leisha came to join the family. She had, some, she had a big learning curve to do because, you know, our family was different from her family. And so she had to learn that, you know, our, it, it was a learning curve on both sides because when we didn't see Leisha at the dinner table, we knew she went home. <laughs> I mean, it meant we, we kind of overstepped our bound. We, we were in our, our vein as a, as a family. We kind of talked it out. We kind of, you know... Let the, you know, truth fall where it sits and we just, you know, mull it over where Alicia wasn't so comfortable with that kind of thing. And so when we lost her sometimes, we have to realize, okay, she, 
you have to break her in gently, you know. <laughs> and, and it was a learning curve on both sides. And so I guess as a church, as we walk this family thing out, we have to understand that there is a learning curve that we have to learn from one another. My whole, your perception of family can be different from the next person that's across the room as what family is. And so we have to be able to show grace one towards the other. And so what that means is, in this vernacular, we're not going to have perfection. Say that with me. Perfection. Perfection. Perfection ain't going to happen. Now, when Christ died on a cross for your sins, he gave you perfection, his perfection, but there is this paradigm that you have to switch from your, your, perfect, your situation to his perfection. And there is a, there's a process. There's a process that takes us from that place to the other place. And quite frankly... It means that we involve ourselves into the things that God has called us to. Let me give you an example. Elisha, or Elijah, sorry, is um, calling down fire from heaven and, you know, dealing with, you know, deception in Israel. And he just gets nailed after he thinks that he's done what God's called him to do, all of a sudden he gets depressed, discouraged. He thinks, man, no one wants to serve God. He runs away from the situation. And he finds, finds God in this cleft of the rock and, and he hears a still small voice. And what God tells him to do is, you know what? There are people that are following. There are things that you need to do. Go. Get Elisha. I'm gonna, he's going to be the one that's going to follow after you. So Elijah follows through with all of that. And he puts his mantle on Elisha. And Elisha immediately, if you follow the... He only gets talked about there in uh, 1 Kings. Uh, my memory's after 19, I think. 1920, around there. Uh, Elijah puts his mantle on Elisha and we don't hear about Elisha till 2 Kings. Now, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, if you were Elisha and you were given a mantle of Elijah, you'd go, oh man, my destiny and my tomorrow is already figured out. Cool. I'm going to be a prophet. Yay God. <laughs> but you know what chronologically it took 13 years between the time that he had the mantle placed on his shoulder to the place where he was then following Elijah the last for him to be taken to the Lord there was a good 13 years we don't know what happened but guess what I want to tell you, there's a process between receiving the mantle and getting the mantle for good. If God's called us to be a family, a family that has a burning ones, and the design is to see that there is a difference, that the kingdom is established and extended, there are, there's a process that needs to take place. There's a potential that, that God has given words over our, over our body for many, many years. They are the potential of God. But in order for the potential to be the, and I had a good word of this when I was thinking of it in my head. It was another P word. Uh, it'll come to me. After, but there's a process. Okay, there's the potential, the process. And I'm gonna, it's going to bother me. And tonight when I go to bed, it's going to go, ah, that's the P word. But the, the, the essence here is, is that church, 
It's not about perfection. It's about progression. Philippians chapter 3. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 to 14. And the call here is Paul is talking about and I, I'm um, going to read the couple verses before just to give context. Philippians 3. Let's um, take it up at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attend the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I have obtained, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I, I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for that which the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, when Jesus talked about the narrow way and the the wide way, the narrow way is really finding ourselves in him. Paul says, I haven't figured all this out. I'm only learning how to live in resurrection life and power. But I know what lies before me is greater than whatever lies behind me. Whatever lies before you is greater than what lies behind you. Whatever lies before you is greater than what lies behind you. Whatever lies before you is greater than what lies behind you. Whatever lies before you is greater than that which lies behind you. Can I pray? Can I say it again? (laughs) I want... my, My design here, folks is that we understand the urgency of the hour, that there is a call to us to be what God's called us to be. It doesn't just sometimes happen by osmosis. But on the same token, that which you have already experienced or you have felt or you've gone through is not greater. It doesn't define you. It doesn't give you the identity for the future. Why? Because if I take everything that I've experienced in life up to this moment, I can define it the way I'm feeling at the moment, and, but the feeling of the moment could be really, 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 really wrong. Church, if God has designed your life in his image. Therefore, that which needs to rest as the supreme Lord over your life is himself. Not what you think. Not what McLean's Magazine says. Not what your friends say. Not what your feelings think. 
You have been designed in his image. And therefore, the only thing that's going to make sense and to carry you to the place that you've been designed to go is himself. And that takes priority over everything else. But what about my job? What about my family? What about, you know, making a difference? Paul had it all. Sorry for the pun. (laughs) He had education. He had influence. He wrote half or three quarters of the New Testament. And yet, he's saying, forget everything else behind and straining towards whatever is ahead. And even in the midst of difficult times, he still, his focus was that Christ be glorified. If you read the book of Acts, and when he was told... When the prophet Agabus told, bound him with his own belt and said, "If you go to Jerusalem the way you're supposed to, way you say you're supposed to go, you are going to be. They are going to bind you and they are going to try to kill you. You should not go." And yet Paul goes, "But Jesus told me to go. I gotta go." Because he was straining toward what lies ahead. And sometimes, guess what? Difficulties are part of the solution. Sacrifice is part of the deal. Someone said to me this past week, you know, Kendall, don't stand in the way of some of other people's dreams. I said, well, I don't. God can. It's sometimes I have to tell them that. God stands in the way of your dreams. As what you perceive them to be. <laughs> Why? Because God's dreams for you are far better than your own. How do you keep moving when you, when you know that it's not going to be all, as an old vernacular saying, a bed of roses? Well, according to the scripture passage that we read, we have to keep knowing and keep becoming. You have to know who you, who you are in him. And that you are becoming like Christ. You have to know who you are. You have to know where you are. Christ has made you a new creation. And that... All of us here in this room have to be able to confess humbly that we are not, we have not fully become the fullness of Christ that he wants us to be. None of us. Absolutely none of us. Christ has saved you from your sin and has given you a way to be that which he's called you to be. But you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. And so we are called to go onward. I want to say something. Life does not stand still. And neither should you. (laughs) 
Why do I say that? It's because according to this scripture, pers- scripture passage that I read is that life does not stand still and neither should you because it will bring your maturity in him. Now here's where I'm going to get a little bit messy. What is it that we don't stand still in? Is it your vision, your destiny, or is it in family destiny, family vision? You can take family out and just put church. Scriptures are very, 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 very plain that the, 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 the personalness of our direction comes in our own, our own welfare of holiness and how we live out our life with Christ. When it comes to vision and destiny, it, I tried to think through my scripture passages, but a lot of what Jesus tells us to do is corporate. He says, go into all the world. Didn't say, Dylan, you go. Dylan's, all the Dylan's of the world. No. He said, it was for all. Go. Jesus himself, you know, his own vision for his own life was a corporate vision. Does that mean I don't, I don't need to have one for my own life? No, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, is that I think sometimes we, are, we, we elevate the personal over the corporate and we tend to, if you take that to the nth degree, you will end up in the times of judges. Because everybody does what is right in their own eyes. I know it's going to get quiet in here. It's okay. But there's something about being onward together that brings strength, capacity, and an ability to see the kingdom move forward in momentum. And unfortunately, we sometimes have celebrated the entrepreneurial spirit so much that we think that is what's going to bring us to the next level. And quite frankly, it isn't. That is a secular value that's overlaid on the church. And we have created people to be on pedestals and then we worship them on the pedestal. Oh, great missionary of the Muslim world. You've seen so many bad things happen to, bad, to good people. They've been martyred. And we, oh, we think, oh, how holy they are. Well, give me a massive California break. They are not more holier than any of you. If you live in California, please forgive me. (laughs) You see, we sometimes think that we have to be able, we have to be in places of influence in order for God to get the glory. And I kind of get a little bit, that's a, it kind of grates me the wrong way because guess what? The only person that needs to get in the place of influence is Christ. is to be glorified. He is to be lifted up. When he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. He don't need you on your own pedestal. Please hear me out. Someone's going to go, oh, you're, you're nailing me because I'm... 
No, 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 no. What I'm trying to get across here is that there, the value of a corporate vision is important. The value of us moving onward together is important. It's not something that can be just, oh yeah, I'll just ride you for a few years and then I'll leave. <laughs> now I'm getting personal. <laughs> That's not family. That's not family. You're right. It's not family. You see, family means I'm stuck with them forever. Unfortunately, Connor and Caitlin are stuck with me forever. <laughs> Avi is stuck with me forever. Leisha's going, don't use my name. Don't use my name. Don't use my name. <laughs> I know. I just, I use that as a... <laughs> It could go the opposite. <laughs> you see, church, family is important. It's not just a figure, figurative language. It's not just a vernacular that's being tossed about to and fro and trying to think, well, am I or am I not? And then we, we sometimes bring the values of the things that we're missing in family and we put expectations on other people and saying, well, you know what? You're supposed to be my dad, so you have to do this and you have to do that. Or you're supposed to be my brother, so you're supposed to do... No, that isn't what this is. It, what this is. It says that we need to be, we honor one another in submission to Christ. Now, someone said that that, uh, that has to do with, with marriage, but I, I hate to tell you, but if you take the context of the whole thing, you can't do, it's more than just marriage. Out of, I honor other people in submission because of what Christ has done for me. I then honor other people. I have to be able to walk out my life as, as God has called me to walk it out. But I have to understand that I have to, I, that it's not much, it's not what I'm going to get out of family that's going to propel me forward. It's what I give. Yes. Yes. In light of Christ's victory... We have hope. More than just being optimistic, we are overcomers. But of course, you and I have to keep running. Even though Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we are called to press on. I, I had this interesting talk with someone from the church this past week. We, we talked, we had a discussion about songs and and uh, then we had a discussion and the whole purpose is the whole thing is that sometimes um, this individual is thinking well we just sometimes rest in our laurels with Christ and we just let him do all the work there's a point to that where we rest in Christ because Christ does give us victory right he gives us victory we it says that we are to stand right we're, stand, we're to stand in Christ. We are to, we don't do battle as with flesh and blood, with principalities, powers, and whatever, you know, all those things. Read Ephesians 6. The, the factor is, though, that where, where I believe he's meaning is that sometimes we allow that, that victory battle stuff to just allow us to sit back and let things fall where they may. Yep. And we wonder why sometimes we don't feel fulfilled in our destiny and our purpose because we've just allowed that whole vernacular to sit back and let it happen. I don't know about you, but I think there is a, a design of God that says, you know, he does bring the battle. He will bring the victory. He will allow us to win the war. 
We do have weapons to our to our our credit that we can use against the enemy. We do have all of those things. But there is a factor where we ourselves have to be able to rest and move ahead in faith. Faith is not just something that is just up here, but it's something that I walk out each and every day of my life. That's part of going onward with him. It's not sitting back and going, okay, uh, what kind of pain reliever am I going to get from church this week? Uh, you know, I need help with my finances. I need help with, uh, you know, my Seattle Seahawks. They're not winning. And, um, you know, you know, I'm having troubles, you know, with my boss. So I hope God's going to give me words for that. And, you know, and then we come back the next week and we do the same thing. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is as a church, I think that our Christianity is more than just pain relief. Our, our Christianity has a life. It, it is supposed to go from one direction to the other. Now, does that mean we don't make mistakes? Yes, we make mistakes. And yes, there are, there are, are things that we can use in order to get through our mistakes. There is repentance. There is forgiveness. There is confession. There is reconciliation. Those are part and parcel of the deals that, that God, the ministry of reconciliation is what we're all involved in. We are bringing from one place to another. We are bringing a ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation means that we have to get involved with it. I want to say here, we're not trying to earn anything from God. But we know that there is so much left to discover the posture of a disciple is one who is proud to admit, I have not arrived. Some of the things you have to understand, some of the things that are being carried forward from leadership to congregation is the is is the acceleration or the, the, the instruction to walk that out on a, on a now basis, but from a now to the end when Jesus returns basis. What lessons you learn, what things you discover. You see, when Barb said, asked all the men to, to sing out loud, those words, was she just, oh, let's just pick on the men. Let's make them sing because they don't sing enough. Is that what she was trying to do? No. What was she trying to do? It was, there was a declaration in the heavenlies that the men need to be an example. Start onward in order to create Destiny and fulfillment and inheritance for what's coming behind them because the men are, in fact, head of the home, regardless of what society says. So the instruction here is to try to bring us to a, a place of authority and of worship that can get things done. But if we leave here going, well, man, I feel really bad that Barb made me sing today. What was that all about? I really wanted just to sit down and just chill. Look at my phone. Please. The place that we are going with in this next year is we are moving onward. There is no long... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there, I don't want you to sit back any longer. Churches that grow are not just led by the front to the back. They're not just led from one person to the rest of the congregation. We need to work as a family. 
Can I meddle a little bit here? Okay, I'm going to. Thank you for that permission. I want to say thank you to the ladies that did this. Because this is just a small example of something that is, doesn't have to be done from leadership to you. It doesn't have to mean Barb and Gina do it. It's what we can do for one another. Okay, you, know, you wonder where else I'm going to go with this. Um, churches that grow are not just led from the front to the back or from leadership to people sitting. It is that everybody has a job and a responsibility. We need help with children's ministry. I'm going to be blunt. My wife can't do it all. She's been doing it for three years now. And not that she doesn't mind. She loves your kids. But we can't do it all. Like, Connor can't just be the worship leader and Barb, the kids pastor, and me, the pastor, and we surround ourselves. You get to see us do our stuff for you. It, that's not what church is all about. It's the Denise's. It's the Cass's. It's the Dale. Where are you, Dale? There you are. It's people that will stand up and say, you know what? I want to be family. Well, I don't, I don't play an instrument. Well, guess what? I got a job for you. Ushering. Greeting. Maybe you have, like to play your stereo and you're really good at mixing. We got a job for you. There are family gatherings, potlucks that we would love to have to do again. But we can't just lean on the same people to do the same stuff. Church, I'm calling us, I'm appealing to you to move onward. Not to sit back and say, what can I do? But say, I want to do this. I am called to this. Pastor, I want to do this. I'm thankful for the Kirk Bowens that say, you know what, I can play. So can I do worship? I go, yes. You go talk to Connor and voila. He's playing last week. See, this isn't for the, for, this isn't, just for the, the talented or the, this group of people. This is a design that we do things together as a church. I want to tell you something. On my level of what I deal with day after day is there is a shrinking church taking place today. Not just in this community, but all around the world. And why is it shrinking? It's because we lose focus on what we are doing it for. It's not for ourselves. We do it for others. Man, I never expected to be preaching this long. Church, I'm calling us onward, pressing, pressing on, forgetting what's behind and pressing on towards what lies ahead. Because I believe deep within my heart, the best days are yet to come. Because struggle and difficulty tells me so. Let that sink from here to here. Because difficulty tells me so. 
I, I need to take it probably a step further than that. Jesus told me this, that things are going to, I was going to plant, be fruitful. Things are going to take place. So I take what Jesus says over all of what's happening, that onward is the way to go. So despite, vic- despite the difficulties, when difficulties come, I have to go, guess what? Get out of the way, difficulty, even though it sucks to be in this moment right now here with you, difficulty, because I, sorry if I said that, that word suck. Anyway, if you're concerned about that word suck, that's too bad. (laughs) But when I hit difficulty, when I hit the word difficulty, when I experience difficulty, when I happen to have difficulty, when life doesn't seem to add up to what I'm supposed to do, difficulty, It doesn't mean I pack up and I move and I do the other things in order for something to happen. I have to take it to Christ and go, Christ, what do you say about this difficulty? Well, guess what? He says, I have to take what he says right now and I have to take what he's already said to me in the past and align it up to this difficulty and say, okay, difficulty, does your word speak louder than my God? No. Therefore, I continue to move onward. Okay, if you're wondering where I ended, I ended a long time ago. (laughs) Church, we are moving onward and forward and upward. If we have to sing Waymaker all year next year, I will sing it. I've, I've played it in my home every day. I've, I've, I've played it I've won, I've, because I'm declaring it in the spiritual realm that my difficulties of what things have been said is not my future. So church, onward we go. From this moment forward, we are moving forward, not backwards. So, where is this going to lead us? Well, it may start with a phone call from Gina saying, Hello. (laughs) 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 I I didn't mean to make her sound very old, okay? But Gina was going to call and say, you know what, I, we're needing some help with ushers. We need some coffee help. We need some greeters. We need some help with fixing things. This building still needs help. And Tracy and Brenda have been wonderful to stand in the gap and they've made lists out that need to be done. And quite frankly, they sometimes get discouraged because they feel like they're the only ones that are doing it. That stops. Can you agree with me? Hey, that stops. Because basically when the family does stuff together, the family grows together. The family begins to love together. We begin to bond together because we are doing things together. I believe in you as a family member of this church. You attend here regularly. You have a voice. And I'm no longer asking you what, whatever... Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. That type of life is over. We're onward.